I'm going to read our scripture today. It comes from John chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it. Wiping his feet with her hair, the house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief, and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priests decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, today, we are going to use the story of a dinner party uh, of Mary anointing Jesus' feet in John 12 to talk about Advent joy. Uh, first, some context. This story might feel familiar to you. Um, it's one of the few stories that shows up in all four Gospels. Um, here in John, John tells us that it takes place in the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Um, Matthew and Mark, when they tell the story, uh, they say that it takes place in the home of someone named Simon, and Mark specifically says Simon the leper. Um, Bible scholars believe Simon to be the father of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, meaning this home has seen goodness. It has seen miraculous. Matthew, when he talks about Simon, he says um, Simon who previously had leprosy. Uh, this dinner party, it takes place in the home of Simon, who used to be a leper and now is healed. It takes place in the same home where Jesus spoke to a tomb and Lazarus stopped being dead. This is a home of great healing and hope. And Mary, she doesn't miss it. She delights in it. She takes great joy in it. I, I think that this intimate moment, this moment where Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, anointing his feet with her hair, this moment, it has so much to teach us about joy. Uh, side note, Mary is one of my favorite examples to use when I say why I believe women are allowed to be pastors. Um, uh, this isn't the only story about her sitting at the feet of Jesus. Twice in the gospel, we find her doing, not just sitting at his feet, but doing pastoral or priestly acts. In Luke 10, we find her sitting at the feet of Jesus uh, like a disciple. And here we have her sitting at his feet, anointing his body for burial. And both times, someone comes to Jesus to like tell on her uh, for doing things that women are not supposed to do. And both times, Jesus scolds the person. Uh, Martha, he scolds Martha in Luke chapter 10. Here, he scolds Judas. And he says he will not take away the priestly things that she's doing. I, the way I read it today is he will not steal her joy. Okay, back to joy. That was for free. Um, this spring, um, as COVID hit... Uh, all sorts of people were offering really cool things, and I signed up to take a class at Yale, which sounds cooler than it is. I mean, the class is really cool, but um, you don't have to, like, get into Yale to sign up to audit this class. Um, but the class is called The Science of Well-Being, and it's taught by Dr. Laurie Santos. And um, Laurie Santos is a psychology professor who specializes in happiness and cognition. 
Um, maybe the most embarrassing part of this story is that I didn't end up taking the whole class uh, because, well, COVID. Um, but what happened for me is that I became really fascinating, fascinated with what Dr. Santos is up to in the world. Um, she is fantastic. You can read, you can Google her and read loads of articles. If you're a podcaster, she has a podcast called The Happiness Lab that is so, so good. Um, and when you listen to her in interviews or you read the things that she writes, Dr. Santos says something that I think is really interesting. Um, in all of her research on joy and happiness, she says this, she says, one of the things that the research shows is that the path to happiness is paved with gratitude. The path to happiness is paved with gratitude. She is a scientist, a psychologist. Uh, I have no idea if she has any religious practice, uh, but the science shows that gratitude is the road to joy. Uh, the Bible teaches something really similar. In the New Testament, the word used most often for joy is kara. Kara means joy or gladness or maybe most accurately the source of joy or the fullness of joy. Um, but then it, it gets better. Um, so kara comes from the root word charis, which in English is translated two ways, gratitude and grace. The source of the word for joy used by the writers of the New Testament is the implication of gratitude and grace. Uh, according to the New Testament, the path to joy is quite literally gratitude. I think this is very important in our study of joy. Uh, the idea that at its most basic level, joy is birthed out of gratitude and grace. Uh, for people of Jesus... Um, that has such a divine depth to it. Uh, I read somewhere that Stephen Colbert from The Tonight Show uh, has a sign on his computer that says, joy is the most infallible sign of the existence of God. For Jesus followers, joy birthed from grace, it has divine depth. I think this is why so many um, Bible dictionaries define joy as grace recognized. Isn't that a beautiful definition? Grace recognized, grace acknowledged, gratitude in grace. I, I want to keep playing with words just for a minute. If joy is grace recognized, then I think it's probably incredibly important that we define grace. Uh, we say it a lot in the church. We say it with the assumption that we all understand it. But honestly, for me, that hasn't always been true. I have thought I understood it or tried to understand it, but um, rarely has it been simply said, this is what grace is. So here is uh, my favorite definition of grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor toward human beings. Grace, it's, it's God's one-way love, his sacrificial love toward sinful men and women who deserve anything but it. it. It's a gift with no strings attached. Grace is the answer to the question, what is God's stance toward a mess like me? His stance is grace, unmerited delight, unmerited favor un toward human beings. And if we define grace as God's unmerited favor and love and delight toward us, and if grace births joy, then goodness, the implications of such a divine origin of joy are so massive. 
They are massive. It means that joy isn't something we can just acquire on our own. It isn't something we get from things or experience or a particular kind of performance in our life. It, it isn't something that we can conjure up within ourselves. We can't buy it or arrange it or command it. It's divine. It means that the most pure form of joy comes from the delight of the divine. Uh, I think Eugene Peterson speaks brilliantly into this, and he says this. He says, we cannot make ourselves joyful. Joy cannot be commanded, purchased, or arranged, but there is something we can do. We can decide to live in response to the abundance of God. We can decide to center ourselves in the God who gives generously and not in our own egos, which greedily grab. One of the certain consequences of such a life is joy. When it comes to joy, it seems that we have a choice to live in response to the abundance of God. We can decide to live in the gratitude of grace, recognized with eyes to see grace all around us, even in the most unexpected places. Uh, this idea of living in response to the abundance of God, uh, even in the most unpromising circumstances, I think this is why the story of Mary anointing the feet of Jesus is such a good place for us to sit this Advent season to talk about joy. I would argue it doesn't seem like a Christmas story, but it's such a Christmas story. Uh, Jesus is a good place for us to sit and talk about joy because if there's ever a moment in the scriptures of recognized grace, this is one. Dallas Willard, he says that joy is a, is a pervasive sense of well-being. Joy is a pervasive sense of well-being. Here in this moment, we have Mary who has recognized grace in her life. Grace in the health of her father and the breath of her brother. Uh, many scholars believe that this Mary is the same Mary who was called a sinful woman, maybe a prostitute, a woman that Jesus set free from the darkness of the evil inside her. Mary recognized grace. She recognized her invitation to a party by no means of her own. And the realiza that realization gave way to a sense of well-being that permeated her whole body and soul. And it is within that pervasive risk of well-being that she risks acting on behalf of the grace that she recognized and experienced in Jesus. This is why Mary is doing an act of joy. You don't give up something so massive on your own volition without a pervasive sense of well-being. It is only within this great sense of well-being, of safety, of okayness, that we give up something so costly. And I think it's so important to note that contrary to what Judas and probably others in the room, Judas is just the one who said it, um, to what Judas thought, this gift, it wasn't wasted, it was offered. It was offered. Judas thought Mary's gift was a waste and Jesus called it good. It was a gift of joy. I want to paint one more picture for you. Um, I said that the word shara, uh, kara, uh, the Greek word for joy, was most accurately defined as the source or the fullness of joy. And that comes with a picture. When you, when you uh, see people trying to define it in Greek, they oftentimes use this picture. Um, the fullness of joy is a picture of joy uh, that is so full that it overflows, like this, this water cup. Full to the point of overflowing. 
the Greek word for joy means that. Full, full to the point of overflowing. And when I see that, I don't know, 16 ounce bottle of water, I can't help but think of a 12 ounce bottle of perfume pouring over the feet of Jesus, wiped by the hair of a woman who had eyes to see the grace right in front of her. It's a truly beautiful story. And again, I would argue a very Christmas story. And my guess is that uh, most of us can appreciate the beauty and the hope of Mary in this moment. Um, But I have this practice where when I read the stories of Jesus, I try to put myself in them. It's an old Ignatian spiritual practice called imaginative prayer, um, where you read a story and you try to picture yourself in the room. Um, And here's what happened when I did this for John 12. I kept wanting to be Mary. Like I wanted so badly to be able to put myself in this story as um, the woman offering this gift of recognizing grace and and pouring perfume all over Jesus's feet. But in my mind, every time I did it, I was Judas. I was Judas standing off to the side with reasons why not. There's this thing in me that believes that a desire for this kind of well-being, this kind of celebration, this kind of abundance, this kind of joy and happiness is somehow like wrong or selfish. I, I don't know. I've got this terrible idea that following Jesus means dying to my own desire for joy. I've convinced myself and probably other people along the way that desiring a happiness or a joy that is felt or seen is somehow off the table for us. Um, I've often appreciated, I can appreciate joy, that low hum of joy of like everything may not be okay, but we're going to have joy all uh, in the background during the wildness of life. But if I'm honest, I have belittled the type of joy that risks and acts and feels, have belittled active joy. I don't think I'm alone. I, I want you to do something for me while you sit at your house. Um, as I was researching this week for this sermon, um, I listened to a pastor who did this with his congregation. It was super moving to me. Um, I loved it. So here's what I want you to do. Close your eyes and picture Jesus. Just close your eyes. Picture Jesus sitting right in front of you. Picture what he looks like. Reminder, he's a 12, or a first century Palestinian Jew, and he's sitting right in front of you. And picture his face, what it looks like. Okay, now open your eyes. Was he smiling? The Jesus that you pictured, was he smiling? I did this uh, in the car, actually. I was at a red light, so it's okay. Um, But still, that question gutted me. Because when I pictured Jesus, he wasn't smiling. And it shows. I think for those who know me best, the truth... Uh, that right now in my life, I often see an unsmiling Jesus. I think it's showing. We meditate on Jesus. When we meditate on Jesus, uh, science has shown us that the neural pathways in our brain reset and reorient themselves onto the version of God that we meditate on. Uh, This happens for better or for worse. It means that when we meditate on an unsmiling Jesus, it shows. But when we meditate on Jesus, whose grace is wild, absurd, when we meditate on Jesus, who was both acquainted with grief and overflowing with joy, when we meditate on Jesus, uh, who can be both at the same time, when we meditate on Jesus, uh, our brain resets. 
Here's what I can tell you about Mary. It's not in the text, but I think it's a fair assumption based on human nature. Mary did not break her perfume or use her hair to wipe the feet of a man she did not believe was smiling at her. This act, it wasn't forced. It wasn't even requested in any of the accounts about it. It was offered. It was offered, gratitude offered, grace recognized, joy and delight in response to the joy and delight that she had received from Jesus every time she laid eyes on him. Joy, it doesn't come from willpower, it comes from practice. What we learn here from Mary is that it comes by putting ourselves at the feet of the most joyful person to ever live. That's what Mary did. We see in the scriptures, Mary, in the practice of of putting herself with honest vulnerability at the feet of Jesus. And she poured out all of her perfume, her treasure, in an act of joy, of gratitude, of delight, even though she knew he was about to die, even though she knew death was coming. John tells us it was like eight days before Jesus was arrested. That is bananas, and that is beautiful. Bono calls joy a great act of defiance. I think that's true for Mary. She chose and practiced and risked and put herself in the proximity of joy, even though the circumstances were bonkers. What if that was the same thing was true for us? What if joy this season could be our great act of defiance to the bonkers of 2020? What if our revolt to the dark of life right now as a Jesus follower is to put ourselves in the proximity and practice of joy? What if instead of a willing submission to the slavery in our minds of fear and distrust and pain this Advent season, we chose instead to practice grace recognized even in the wildest places? I'm not saying that there's nothing to be afraid of, and I'm not saying that everything is trustworthy, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't feel pain. What I'm saying is that it is a good and right thing as a follower of Jesus to revolt against being defined or enslaved by such things. One last quote, because I haven't quoted Frederick Buechner yet, so it doesn't count as a sermon of mine unless I quote him. Um, But here's what he says. He says, joy is where the whole being is pointed in one direction. Joy is a mystery because it can happen anywhere, anytime, even under the most unpromising circumstances, even in the midst of suffering with tears in its eyes. Uh, So for Selah today, uh, we take a pause at this point in all of our services every single week. Um, And here's what I want to do. I just want to bless you in the name of joy. So if you will, um, if this feels weird, you don't have to do it, but will you just like hold your hands out? And um, sometimes it helps when we connect our bodies uh, to what we're trying to do. I think that's a big deal that, that Mary legitimately connected her body with this act of joy. And so will you just hold out your hands as if you might want to receive a blessing and, and I'll pray for you. So, Father, I thank you that you... Uh, that you sent your son to be the most joyful person to have ever lived, that you sent Jesus who could be both a man of sorrows acquainted with grief and also at the same time the most joyful person to ever live. And so I bless our people. I bless them uh, in their great act of defiance uh, by being full of joy. I bless them to be people who recognize grace 
people who, uh, who that recognition leads to gratitude and that gratitude leads to a deep and wild joy. I bless them with the courage to fight uh, what enslaves them, the darkness that keeps them uh, under, the darkness that keeps them ensla- enslaved. Bless them in the name of Jesus. Amen.